This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, are you doing a repair that needs a special tool? O'Reilly Auto Parts makes it easy with our loaner tool program. Over 80 specialized loaner tools are available, so we're sure to have a tool in stock to help you get the job done correctly. Purchase the needed parts and then put down a deposit on the loaner tool, return the tool in the original condition, and then receive a full refund. When you're on Adderall, man, I just talked to the most confident guy in the world, and I think people gravitate to it. I remember one particular time in a San Francisco bar, this guy comes up to me, and he's like, Hey, Aubrey, um, my wife would have really likes you. Do you mind if you come home and you can bang her and I can watch in the corner? <laughs> I'm like, what? My gosh, dude, I got to tell you. I'm flattered. Of course, I look over there. She's not attractive, but it's... <laughs> Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. This is episode 72, and my guest is former MLBer Aubrey Huff. Now, if you're looking for somebody who did some damage as a big leaguer, then Aubrey Huff is your man. Two World Series rings, a silver slugger, seven seasons of 20 or more home runs, a Swiss Army knife in the field, and a tremendous dude to have in the clubhouse. But baseball is not what makes this conversation with Aubrey Huff amazing. The demons that this dude stared down are. Aubrey Huff remembers the first day that he took Adderall. It changed his life and his baseball career, and then it nearly ruined him. It ruined his marriage and threw him into a deep, deep depression and had him contemplating suicide. Aubrey, though, came out the other side. He got help, he got sober, and now he's committed to helping other people who have abused Adderall and other athletes who have struggled with the transition from pro sports to retirement. My conversation with Aubrey Huff starts right now. Aubrey, it is really good to run you down and great to have you on this podcast. We have a lot to get caught up on. First of all, how are things? How you been? Oh, man, I can't complain. Um, sitting here in Solana Beach, California. I'm uh, raising my two boys. Unfortunately, within this last year, I was uh, got divorced, and which unfortunately happens to a lot of ex-athletes. But <laughs> getting back, uh, getting my feet back under me and, and uh, getting this blog going and starting to find some, some uh, value in my life again after baseball. That's great. I mean, most of that's great. I'm sorry to hear about your divorce, but I'm I'm really happy to have an opportunity to talk to you because you mentioned so many things right there. I love that you're in Solana. That is a great, great spot. You know, when you look at it, you had a, a great major league career, 13 years, a couple of World Series rings. But as you point out, like so many athletes, it's a challenge in retirement. And I want to talk to you about that. But before we do, help me with this, Aubrey. For instance, like you lived a life that I'm imagining everybody listening right now wants the life of a professional athlete, a major leaguer, a World Series champ, a two-time champ, and all the perks and bennies that come along with it. Can you let us inside? Like, how are you treated? What do you get to do? What is that life like? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's, it's, it's a dream, man. I mean, you're going on these first-class flights with, with all your 24 brothers in arms, and, you know, you got the flight attendants that are just serving you booze the entire time up and down the flight, and you fly into these, you know, you're going to these five-star hotels, first-class room service. You're playing in these cathedrals and stadiums with 40,000 people, 
screaming your name every night or booing it, whichever way you look at it. But, <laughs> but you know, you just get so used to this celebrity lifestyle, this materialistic lie way I look at it. Looking back at it now, don't get me wrong, I'm blessed to do what I did playing Major League Baseball. It's afforded me an amazing lifestyle. But when you get out of it, man, it is so hard to transition out of it from that life of just extravagance and, and purpose and identity. And then you come into the real world where, wow, how do you replace that excitement, that identity, that value, that purpose? In a lot of ways, it, it feels like your manhood just gets castrated. Like I feel like my balls were cut off when I got out of baseball. I felt like my kids didn't look at me the same. I felt like my wife didn't respect me. And that was not the case, but that's how you feel as ex-athlete ex, uh, coming out into the real world. And there's just nothing out there from the nine-to-five job. We're just not wired that way to be able to handle that kind of, uh, that kind of job. You know, I mean, again, there's so much in that. Like, it's an amazing life until it's not. And you know the saying, professional athletes die twice. Exactly what does that mean, and did you yourself experience any of that? Oh, oh yeah, without question. Like, um, I mean, I would say the first six months, I, I, the first year out of retirement, not a big deal. The first spring training retired came along, and, uh, you know, it was quite a, actually kind of normal. I, I had that about a week where I wish I was in spring training, but, then I realize you're playing 40 fucking games in spring training and 200. Uh, then I'm good. <laughs> you know, right. But, right. Um, I went, I went through the second spring training and then I really, really started missing it. Just, I don't know if I really missed the game so much, Jim, but the uh, camaraderie, the fellas hanging out in the clubhouse, the travel, just the, the bullshit, in the clubhouse, you know, those are the kind of things that as ex athletes, I think a lot of guys will tell you that's what they miss the most. So Aubrey, what's that like? For instance, I don't think, there's really nothing like a locker room, or in this case, a major league clubhouse. It's like it's your sanctuary. You've got 25 extremely unique dudes seeing more of each other than their own family and then going to battle every single day. What's that like? Like what goes on and what kind of bonds are created? Well, lifetime bonds, man. I mean, I, you can never replace the bond I had with those 24 other guys in 2010 and 2012 winning that World Series. I mean, those are things as a kid when you grow up want to be a major league baseball player. That's the first and foremost thing you want to be as, as a major leaguer. And icing on the cake would be winning a World Series. I was fortunate enough to do two of them. And that bond you share with those 24 other guys, is, is you just cannot recreate that. And um, you, you go through the grind, the pain, the struggles. And, you know, it's interesting, Jim, and I think you'll enjoy this story. In 2010, I, you know, I win the World Series. You know, I, I go back and I hit a, a home run in Game 3 in the same stadium that I put that I grew up watching the Texas Rangers. Right. And we, we, we beat the Rangers in Arlington in front of all my hometown friends and family. And my, my life, my dream, everything that I ever wanted to accomplish in baseball, I had done it. And I was 35 years old. I had a great time that night, enjoyed the moment, hoisted up the uh, World Series trophy, celebrated with my family and friends. The next morning, I wake up in San Francisco, back in San Francisco, and I look at my wife dead in the eye. Obviously, I was a little hungover, <laughs> but, um, and she's waking up, and I just said to her, I said, huh, damn, baby, now what? Hmm. And it was like this really depressing feeling, knowing that I just won the World Series, but I also, it just felt like I had no other purpose after that. Like, I just accomplished everything in my life, and I was 35 years old. So that was a really weird feeling in my life. That's, that's an unbelievable story. Like, you, you work your entire life to get to this thing, and then you get that thing, and it's like, is that all there is? And then, Aubrey, you go a step further, like, and then it's gone. Like, 
It's the dream. You worked your entire life for the dream. You actually lived that dream. It's not necessarily what you think it is. And then it's ripped from you. Then it's snatched from you. And then you do have to live the rest of your life and your career is over. What's that like? What's that moment like? Well, you know, it, it, it sucks, man. Because I got to tell you, like I told you before, it's hard to replace that adrenaline and that camaraderie. But, you know, what I have learned throughout this journey, and I've been retired now for seven years. This is my seventh spring training out. And I've realized through that story I just told you and, and being out of it now, looking back, doing a lot of self-reflection, that, you know, as much as it was awesome to have the World Series trophies, the money, the fame, and all that stuff that came with it, it's, it was that whole entire grind, the journey, not the destination. You hear that all the time. I know it sounds cliche and cheesy, but it truly is real. Like, I miss the fucking grind, man. I miss going out there every day knowing that I don't know what's going to happen. I'm working out every day. I had a schedule. That's a big thing, too, man, schedule. We're creatures of habit, athletes. You know, you wake up, you uh, get a good breakfast, you go to the field at 1 o'clock, you look at video, you get your weight training in, you get some hitting off the tee, you, you, you take batting practice, you do your interviews, you, take, you, you play the game, you do interviews, you go home, you make love to your wife, and you do it the next day. You know what I right. mean? Right. So, you're regimented. And, and then, yeah, and then you get in, into retirement, and then you wake up, you, I'm folding fucking laundry every day, I'm washing the dishes. Um, I'm taking the kids to school, dropping them off. I'm going shopping at Whole Foods. You know, I'm doing all this stuff that, you know, as, as caged, I'm a a caged animal. And I just, and I think I just really told myself this lie that, man, okay, I'm 36, I'm 38 years old. I'm retired and I don't have to do anything the rest of my life. And at 38 years old, that's just bullshit. That's a lie you're telling yourself. I have, you have to keep doing something. I mean, it's not that you're 70 years old, but. And that's the challenge is finding something purposeful in your life again after baseball. All right, I mean, that's the thing, right? So what happens is it's your identity. And, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but at that point, that's all you know. It's your identity, and it's ripped from you. And with that, I would imagine your self-worth and your confidence, right? So then what do you do? Well, yeah, I mean, you're so hardwired, and I hate to say this. You're so hardwired to be so fucking selfish, man. I mean, your whole life, if you grind it by yourself, you practice as a kid all the way up, you know, you're playing in, especially baseball, it's a team sport, but it's wrapped around so many individual stats, and, and you can get so lost in, you know, this fame and this monster that you become in baseball, and God forbid, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about my history, but in 2009 through 2011, I was severely hooked on Adderall, man, and I was right. a complete fucking hot mess, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I did things on that shit that I never would have done sober, ever. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, it eventually into my marriage, the shit I did on that stuff. So if there's anybody out there listening to this now that's thinking about taking Adderall, it's a college kid, high school kid, fucking don't do it. Because it's, uh, it's something that'll turn you into something you don't like, you don't love. And it takes a long time to get that, uh, that feeling out of your system. I mean, when you take an Adderall or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is you do, man, that, that Adderall, man, it gets in your head and you cannot replace that feeling naturally and it's hard and hard to hard to get over and i actually had to go to rehab with it in 2010 i mean we won the world series in 2010 and i was taking almost bi-weekly trips to vegas at all out of my mind my wife was pissed and you know she said i'm leaving you unless you go to rehab and i went to rehab in 2010 to get off this adderall and um, i've been clean ever since uh, well actually i did relapse in 2011 um and then after 2011 um my my wife said all right this is it, last chance, and I finally got clean because I really wanted it in 2012, and uh, I've been sober ever since, but um, it was a grind. It's been a long journey, and it's been a hard journey, and I, I encourage anyone out there that's taking that shit or that's in baseball taking it now, you got to really start reevaluating it. 
Aubrey, I really appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate you sharing that. And for those who don't know, for whatever reason, Adderall is a prescription drug for teenagers with ADHD. And as you point out, you were using it, and then it got the better of you. How did you start using, and then what did it feel like when you first did it? What did it do for you? Well, it's interesting, man. I just wrote a blog on this now, and it's, um, I'm editing it out, and I'm going to post it next this weekend. Um, it was my, it's going to be called The Introduction to Adderall. And I remember being hungover as shit in Chicago playing the White Sox, and I'm sitting in this dirty, stinky, loungy, lazy boy getting ready to play a 1 o'clock game, and it's, it's literally 1130. I'm still in my street clothes in the night before, just hungover as shit. It was my ninth year in the big leagues. I'd played for Tampa Bay for six, Baltimore for three, and every fucking year I was dead last or fourth place and just got so sick getting my ass kicked every day. And the only way I could cope was booze. And uh, so a guy comes, a, a teammate comes into the locker room. He's looking at me. He's, he just starts laughing. He goes, ha, ha, tough one last night, huh, Huffy? Huh. I'm like, shit, man. Yeah, you have no idea. There's no way I can play this game today. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, have you ever been popped for a drug test? And I said, no. He goes, all right, well, I got something for you. He comes back with a little orange and uh, white pill, and I'm like, thinking myself, all right, what does this do? And he tells me, yeah, you'll feel like you're 20 years old in 20 minutes. And I'm like, all right, what the hell? Pop that thing, and Jim, like, no bullshit, man. Um, within 30 minutes, I'm still sitting in that, in that stinky, lazy boy. The air in that locker room started to smell like I was in the mountains. Um, the lights were crisp. I felt like I was like the, the sun had just come onto this really, really dark room. I could not wait to get into my locker, put my spikes on. I'm normally that guy that's the last one to go stretch. You know, just uh, got to go out and stretch. Sure. I was the first one out probably an hour before game time, beat the starting pitchers out, bullshitting with the fans who I normally couldn't stand yelling at me all the time. And I just had the most fun playing baseball in my life. I was over for that game, but I didn't give a shit. It was the most amazing experience of my life. And um, I remember thinking to myself during that game, how did I ever fucking play baseball without this drug? But I hate to glorify it that much, but that's what I felt like. But after the game, I felt the ramifications of it. I couldn't stop drinking beers. I had to have 15 beers that night just to pass out. And I started smoking menthol cigarettes that I never used to smoke in my life. For whatever reason, made me want to smoke cigarettes. And I smoked probably half a pack of those. And it was just a – I'd seen the kind of guy it would turn me into. But the next day, I was felt like shit. I'm like, okay, I got to get that pill just to get back to neutral. And the vicious cycle had begun. Wow. I was, Aubrey, I was going to say, until you laid out the back end of that, I was going to say, it sounds like the best shit ever. It sounds like the best <laughs> shit ever until you lay out the other side of it. So, like, I mean, it, how would it compare? I mean, is it a PED? Would you consider it a PED? You know, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, as in my experience, you know, I've never taken steroids. But to me, when you're talking about getting a performance-enhancing drug in you and the mental edge, what's the strongest thing in our bodies, Jim? I mean, I think our minds are the most powerful thing that we sure. have. Not our muscles, it's our minds, man. And this shit turned me into super fucking man. I, I could do anything. I was invincible. Um, I over four, 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 four. I was I was a rock star. And I wa- I would walk into anywhere, um, in, into bars, into restaurants. My head was high. I lacked zero confidence. Um, I did things that I said things that I would never say sober. Um, you just turn into this absolute crazy fucking guy. But when you're on it, you love it because you feel so invincible. Um, but. The morning you wake up, every morning was like the most depressing of lows of lows that you'll ever have. And the only way, like I said, to get that high back is to pop another one. So that was a tough, tough, uh, tough transition to get off that shit. So I was going to say, so how did you, Aubrey, how did you get off that stuff and what were the withdrawals like? Well, so like I, w- I, went, to, I went to 2010, like I said, rehab. And, you know, I'm seeing all these kids, 16 years old, needles in their arms, the whole deal. And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm only here for Adderall. This isn't a problem. 
you know, so I really didn't want it. I did the therapies. I, I just kind of half-assed my way through it just because my wife wanted me to, to get my family back to trusting me again. And I knew I was going to go right into spring training and use again. And I did. And, uh, it got to the point in 2011, my wife started randomly drug testing me mm-hmm. and I had to like fake it one day, just, just to completely forget, like I did it. And I started like looking for fresh urine from people I knew around town and I'd have friends of mine peeing bottles so I can take home to have like fresh urine to pass her drug test. Wow. That's how much of a, that's how much of an Adderall addict I was. I was pushing almost 80 milligrams a day and usually, you know, uh, anywhere from 60, to 80 milligrams. And, um, when I finally got off of it, um, I had hit rock bottom in 2011. It was the off season of 2011. My wife and I had gotten extremely loud fight and of course something I started and she needed to get away from me and she left me with the kids and of course I popped 40 milligrams and I had my three-year-old and one-year-old son at the time um they were probably a little older than maybe five or four and two and I tucked him into bed and I just had to get out of the house so I just randomly called some babysitter I'd never met before out of the out of the, out of the uh, internet and she shows up and I just wrote a letter to my wife posted it on the door said hey um, I did my due diligence on this babysitter. I need to get away. Um, so I'll see you when I get home. I get home. She's, I get home. The kids are okay. Mama's sleeping with the kids, and I pass out in the master bedroom. Um, the next morning, I hear the sound of the uh, luggage hitting the hallway. Doop, 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 doop. And kids are screaming. I wake up, and you know, I'm hungover as shit. And, and she comes in the bathroom, and I'm brushing my teeth, and, and she's like, say goodbye to your dad, boys. So she just took my kids and, and left. She couldn't take no more. And I got to tell you, man, when those kids come crying at me while I was brushing my teeth, I hit the ground. My ass was on the ground. These kids were hugging me, crying. Had, my four-year-old had no idea what was going on. They don't know why they were leaving. And I got to tell you, when she left with those kids, it was the lowest of low I've ever Nobody wants to feel this. I felt like I got shot in the chest. I wanted to die. I really did. Aubrey, and, um, that, yeah. that was my, that was the eye-opening moment that I said, okay, you know what? I need to get sober. And from that day on, I never did it again. Was that rock bottom? That was rock bottom, brother. As any coach or GM will tell you, the foundation of any great team is great talent. So it's no surprise the teams dedicate so much time and effort towards finding the right players. The same exact rule applies to you when it comes to hiring. You've got to find the top talent, but you don't have endless resources to find it. Luckily, what you do have is ZipRecruiter. They scout talent for you. With ZipRecruiter, one click sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. It is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate right through the site within the very first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-O-N-E-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. This service is amazing. I use it myself. It would be foolish not to try it right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, don't, 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 played, but... yeah, I was going to say, not, not, I mean, not in any way to be disrespectful. That sounds like the worst thing ever. I was going to say, hopefully it never got worse than that. But, but then, I mean, you're still playing, and then your career ends, and that's not the end of it, right? Like, you talk about having panic attacks in retirement. Were you stressed, or was that something else? Well, no, 2012. So I'm finally, 2012, my, I, somehow by some God grace that my family came back in 2012, I was sober, 
my wife gave me a, a yet again another chance. And uh, I, it was 2012, and I remember I was clean for the first time in two and a half years playing baseball, and I fucking hated it, man. I was in New York and playing the Mets, and I was really having a shitty year. I was in like 180, making 10 million, and um, I remember 0 for 4 that game, and I made it really. I had to play second base out of a necessity towards the end of the game. We just ran out of position players, and I made a terrible play at second base where I should have covered second for a double play. Instead, I broke to first like I'd done countless millions of times every time a ball is hit to the infielder, and that split-second decision cost us the game. And so that night, I'm laying in my hotel room in, in New York. It's, it's 3 in the morning, and, you know, I pounded about 10 beers after the game. Um, I was sober, but I, I was sober from the drugs, but I was still drinking. Um, so I was about 10 beers deep and it was three in the morning and I had to take a piss and I went to go pee and I started walking back to my bedroom and the dude, the room was closing in on me. I started feeling sweaty, but cold. My heart started pounding through my chest. I thought, Oh my God, I'm going to have a heart attack. It felt like I I'd never felt this before. And so in my, like me, I said, there's no way I'm going to fucking die in this New York, New York hotel right now. I'm going to pack my shit and try and make it home. And that's the only thing I could think of. And so I packed my bag completely into my clothes from the night before, and I just took my bag and left the team. Hopped on a flight, and I uh, got to Tampa the next morning. And as I'm on this plane, I'm having a, like a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour panic attack. I don't know how I got on the plane. I was freaking out, just praying that I don't die. And by the time the sun starts coming up in Tampa as I'm about to land, I started feeling normal. I'm like, what the fuck was that? I had no clue what was happening to me. Um, called Bruce Bochy, the organization, the next day, and I explained the situation. They say, hey, well, keep it quiet. Just get back to Cincinnati. They had gone to Cincinnati now to play the Reds. Just meet us in Cincinnati. We'll sweep this under the rug. And uh, I started packing my bag to go to Cincinnati, and it started happening again. I'm like, I can't go. I can't go. I started freaking out, and uh, that's when I knew I had some trouble, and I told the trainers, and they got me a therapist in Tampa, and I was diagnosed with a full-on panic disorder. Wow, Aubrey. So, yeah. like, what 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 was therapy like for you? Well, um, I was just so panicked, and every day was a daily panic attack, and just trying to to navigate life without Adderall in my system. And you know, I mean, I think there's, you know, I went through I went through uh, my my dad was murdered when I was six years old, and that was something in therapy that I never really worked toward, t- towards and right. worked through. And uh, in therapy, we really touched on that, and I think today, even today, I still struggle with it. But, um, you know, I think that's where my lack of confidence came. And I think that's why I drank so much and took so many drugs is I had a general lack of self-confidence, you know. And to do what I did in the major leagues, pretty much drunk my entire career and then towards the end of it taking Adderall, is pretty amazing. You know, people tell me all the time, <laughs> dude, you, if you would have taken care of yourself, you probably could have hit 500 homers. But, and I always respond, I'm like, well, I was really deep down such a scared, shitless little boy inside that I don't think if I did that, I wouldn't have made the big leagues. I mean, I use those, those drugs and alcohol to cope with my insecurities. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people out there that struggle with alcohol and drug addiction, and that's the biggest thing they talk about. They use because they want to numb because they don't feel like they're enough, and that's kind of how I felt. And through therapy, um, that's really opened up my eyes. And, and my mission now is while writing some of these blogs, and I'm doing some speaking on – I'm actually going to Boston University in June to speak on at an addiction conference. And that's kind of my heart now is to help people that have gone through the things that I have. I mean, shit, man, I'm, I'm good now, but I've, at what cost? I've lost my wife. I still have my boys, and me and my ex-wife are in a great place. But, you know, I, I, I know I'd have a happier, great marriage without uh, all those drugs and alcohol, and that cost me my marriage. 
You know, it's an amazing story to tell, and I, and I want to talk about the work you're doing right now, but one, one more thing I just want to double back to, Aubrey. You mentioned that you never took steroids. So with all these things going on, all these things available to you, and so many guys were doing it, and so many people had to make that decision, like, it's not a level playing field, and if I don't do it, the next guy will. Why is that something you never did? You know, I, seriously, man, I thought about it so many times because i got to tell you, Jim, in 2003, I mean, I hit, I think I hit 311 in Tampa with 34 homers, 107 ribbies, and... You know, I was having some really good years in Tampa, but, you know, you had these guys dropping fucking 50 home runs a year, and my 34 was like 20th or 30th in the league, man. Harvey, you were and like a slappy. So, you were like a slappy yeah, with your 34, yeah. right? Fucking slap. 64 slap hitting first base with his right. 34 pounds. So, right. you know, if you really look at it, man, that was taking money off my table. Sure. You know, that pisses me off, right? So, you know, it, but, you know, again, like, like I said earlier, though, I mean, who am I to judge these guys? And later in my career, I'd be taking Adderall, which in my opinion, and i got to be honest, 2010, I had one of the best years of my life with the Giants. Would I have had that year without it? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I was at that point in my life where I was coming out to 2009 uh, with the trade to the Tigers, and I sucked in Detroit. I, I was a platoon player in Detroit. I had a tough time getting a job with the Giants. And, you know, I, I think Adam LaRoche passed on the Giants, and they signed me instead for one year, $3 million. I said, well, fuck it. I guess I'll hit in San Francisco. And if I hit two home runs, I hit two rooms. It's a tough place for lefties to hit. But, man, that Adderall, I mean, I, that was the first year that I'd used it full-time full in 2010, and it just turned me into a, the best player I've ever been in my life. And, and I, don't, I honestly believe if I didn't have that, I'd have a hard time believing I would have had that kind of year. But um, who knows? I might have, but it, it certainly didn't hurt. All right, so about a year ago, you grab a bottle of McAllen 12, about a dozen bats from your playing days. What did you do then? Oh, yeah. Um, so I was still kind of struggling last year. You know, I was getting better and better and better. And, you know, uh, I'd still go for therapy from time to time. And even today I still do just to keep myself in check. But, uh, you know, especially after the divorce. But, you know, last year, I mean, I just got tired of thinking about the game, trying to, you know, uh, think about all the memories. Yeah, you have the memories, but I was still identifying myself as Aubrey Huff, the baseball player, right? And I'm like, how the fuck am I going to get rid of this thing? And then, you know, my <clears throat> my uh, – my therapist told me, have you ever done uh, one of these where you write down everything that you used to be, write it down on a piece of paper, thank God for your career, thank, all, all the, thank God for all the wonderful things that you had in your life and all these things. And then uh, I want you to go take that letter and I want you to burn it after you read it. I'm like, okay. But I added on some things. I got the bottle of my cat. So I went, and I went to get my letter and I wrote all the things I was thankful for my career um, you know, all the things that gave me the money, the fame, all that stuff and the identity, blah, blah, blah. And I went outside and I just sat there and I took a 12 pack of bats that I still had hanging up in my man room that were just old bats from my playing days. They weren't fine enough. They're just my bats. And I grabbed all 12 of them and I made a bonfire of those 12 bats, burning one at a time and drinking almost that entire bottle of McAllen. And I got to tell you, by towards the end of that bottle, I was fucking sobbing like a baby. Um, I just had, I just felt like I was cleansing myself of that. That identity, it was weird, man. And I just read that letter out loud. Um, Thank God for my career. And, dude, I mean, I cried like a baby. And I burned that letter. And the next day I was feeling like shit, hung over. But, but I felt good in my heart. You know, I felt like I had finally released that identity as a baseball player. And, um, but I had, to, I had to replace it with something. And that's when I started really thinking about the blog and started doing a lot more speaking and volunteering around my area. And that's where I'm finding most happiness is purpose, man, is, is like I was still trying to – make money and be somebody, be famous. I, mean, I even tried my hand at acting. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing acting for? Why? It's not like I love it. It was because I wanted to be relevant. 
And I was like, what is this going on? So I just let that go and started thinking about other people and helping other people with the platform I was given and, and the, some of the struggles I've had. See, Aubrey, I was going to say, so which is it? I mean, did, did you let it go or did you replace it with something else? Which one? Well, I think it's both. You know, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of the talks I do with high school kids and, you know, and, and stuff that I do around the town, I haven't done anything really big yet as far as nationwide speaking or anything, but I'm doing little things around town. And, um, but I still use my story in, in baseball because it's a platform. People are interested in platforms, interesting things that people have done in their lives. But I, I don't identify as it now. I was a major league baseball player, and I'm proud of that fact and what I've accomplished in my life. But now there's a whole new purpose and a fire in my belly. I mean, when you retire, like I said earlier, that fire in your belly just dies out. And you have no, how do you replace it, right? We struggle so hard to be famous again, I think, a lot of us as ex-athletes. Some don't, but many of them, I, I, I believe, really do. And uh, how do you replace it? And, and you've got to have a fire for something. And for me, it was just turning my tragic, some of my tragedy in, in, my, in my past, the drug addiction and alcohol, my divorce, and my dad getting murdered when I was six, and just a lot of issues, man, and being vulnerable to people. I think a lot of guys in this world, man, as athletes, we're trained to be killers, man. Don't show any emotion and and I think that's why I had a lot of panic and insecurities as a kid, too. I held all that shit in, man, and wasn't vulnerable, wasn't authentic, and just lied to myself for years. And then being sober really kind of opened that up and let that cat out of the bag. And, and uh, through being a little bit more vulnerable and honest with myself and sharing my, my journey, even talking to you now, man, this isn't comfortable to talk about, but I feel it's necessary. But every time I talk about it, it makes me feel, fills me up more and more of purpose, value, and identity, and uh, knowing that, I can help other people. Knowing they're getting help is making me feel good. Well, Aubrey, I know for a fact that people are going to listen to this and they're going to get so much out of this because you're right. It's so counterintuitive. You guys as athletes are taught from day one, man, never give in, never show weakness, never complain. And this is why mental health is such an issue with athletes because from day one, you're taught never to show any of this. So I guarantee it. I mean, you know this. You've seen so many guys go through this and so many guys will always go through this. If an athlete is in the same place that you were in or dealing with the same types of things that you were dealing with, what advice would you have? Well, Jim, it's interesting you said that, man. Since uh, I publicly struggled with this in 2012, there was articles written about it in San Francisco. I mean, it was it was kind of like a, it was more of a San Francisco story, but it got a little bit of a national pub that I lost my mind and skipped out on my team due to anxiety disorder. So it was kind of embarrassing, right? And a lot of guys knew about it. And you would, you'd be surprised at guys that are retired today that have reached out to me in the last you know couple years, three years, and even guys that are playing today that you'd be surprised. They reached out to me and it told me and that they're struggling with anxiety and depression themselves and what I did. And, you know, I think, you know, it, there's not, I think everybody has their own, own journey with it. For me, it was just stop identifying myself as a major league baseball player. I started really, really, really watching how I take care of myself um, as far as nutrition and working out. I hit the gym almost daily and, you know, I started eating whole organic foods and really taking care of my body, man. And, I, I limit my alcohol intake now. I still have some beers from time to time, but it's you know it's not like I used to be. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm surrounding myself with with uh, more influential people now. I, 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 that's the thing I think a lot of guys too when they come out of baseball or or any kind of pro sport is they isolate themselves. I did. I mean, you're around 24 guys every day, and then all of a sudden, okay, my wife sacrificed so long for me when I was away and taking care of the kids. I'm going to sacrifice now and isolate myself and, and uh, support my wife and just throw my life into my kids. I think as a man, you've got to have a little bit more than that. You know, you love your family no matter how much you love your family, but if you're not pursuing something and 
um, helping other people and find purpose in your life and you're dead. So um, love your family, enjoy them, but you still have to have something that, that's for yourself. All right, listen, I understand that the problem with the life is, I mean, you, we, we haven't lived a life like that. Even in a recent blog post, you talked about this. I mean, it, it's just so warped and so twisted and so different. I mean, you write that women want you, men want to be you. Hell, some men even ask you to have sex with their wives. I mean, dude, was that a real thing? Oh, I, that's, I can't tell you how many times that's been said to me. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, when I was on Adderall, especially, man, I mean, I would walk into a bar and, you know, you, I really believe in the, like a power of like how you handle yourself, how you look, you just attract people when you, you have your shoulders back, head up. And when you're on Adderall, man, I just talk the most confident guy in the world. And I think people gravitate to it, even though you feel like, even though you're being an asshole at times and I had this edge about me. And then I remember, I remember one particular time in a San Francisco bar I'm sitting at the bar, and I had a teammate there with me, and, and this guy comes up to me, and he's like, hey, man, um, we love what you do, you guys. And, hey, Aubrey, um, my wife would have really likes you. Do you mind if you come home and you can bang her and I can watch in the corner? <laughs> I'm like, what? And my buddy just starts dying laughing. I'm like, my gosh, dude, i got to tell you, I'm flattered. Of course I look over there. She's not attractive, but it's <laughs> – but, but it was Holy still, it was shit. Situation. I was like, oh, my gosh, wow. And those were just, you know, just that's Wednesday one night story. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a random Wednesday night. That's for sure. But yeah, man, that's, that happened a few times. Here's my wife. Do you want to bang her? I mean, wow. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Crazy well, yeah. shit. I mean, man, it was, it, let's, let's be honest, though. It wasn't like these guys were tens or anything, both of them. I mean, <laughs> no, nor was, was, nor was he a genius either. Hey, quick, look at the calendar. It's 2019. Are you still doing things the old way at work? New year, new you, right? So start the year off right by replacing that software that causes you angst and agony every single day. You know the one. You can find software that you love that actually fits your business needs by using Capterra.com. Capterra is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution to your business. With over 700,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software. Everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software, almost anything you need. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Capterra makes it easy to find the right solution fast. So join the millions of people who use Capterra every month to find the right tools for your business. Honestly, I don't know what I was thinking. I was using garbage. I was using junk until I finally woke up and checked out Capterra. Now my software is fully tuned up and up to date. So visit Capterra.com slash Rome for free. Do it today. Find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Capterra.com slash Rome. Capterra, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A.com slash Rome. Capterra.com slash Rome. Just goes to show what that life is like. And then I'm not trying to glorify this, but like all of a sudden when you're not that guy, like, like your teammates, for instance, right? When you're no longer with them and you're in retirement and you lob them a telephone call, like how do they react? You know, it's, it's funny, man. Like the first year or two, you know, you, you kind of, you keep up with them via text or what have you. And then before you know it, you just lose all contact. You're like, you don't, I don't hardly hear from anybody really, except for my really, really good tight friends that I made, like two or three of them throughout the years. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I was just recently in Arizona um, last week, last weekend, and 
I was like, you know what? I'm visiting an old buddy out there, my good friend Russ Jacobson, and and I was like, hey man, I'm going to go to a Giants game today, and I was and I woke up and I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. Why? I literally haven't talked to any of these guys in, in three years, right? So I'm like, ah, whatever. And it's not like I want to go to watch a baseball game. I could give a shit less. I mean, I just don't really like watching it anymore. I just enjoy, I enjoy, if I'm going to watch a baseball game, it's playoffs and watching it from home. But, uh, yeah, so it's, it's weird. And then I realized, you know, I was starting to get pissed at these guys for not returning texts or whatever. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did the same shit whenever guys would retire when I was playing. They'd reach out to me, and I'd just blow them off. They'd ask for tickets or say hi or want to get a drink, and I would just blow them off. And I'm like, well, shit, I was, that, I was doing the same thing. But I get it because you get so busy. You get so many people pulling on you eight ways from Sunday when you play, from tickets to, to all these different things to trying to get you to invest a hundred grand. And you just start, you know, you just start letting go and just trust the people that are in your bubble, those 24 other guys, and that's all you have. You don't let else, anybody else in. And that's tough when you get out of baseball because – you got to learn to trust people, and sometimes even when you come out of the game, you, people just use you for your fucking money to make them look cool for contacts, and you can't really trust people. I've been burned so many times out of the game, it's not even funny. You know, Who would you trust? I mean, it's, it's outside your inner circle, that circle of trust. Who would you trust? Well, let me ask you this before you go. In a Reddit AMA you did last week, you talked about some of your former teammates. I, 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 hope, I hope that this end, ends well because as I've done this as long as I've done this, Aubrey, he's one of my favorite guys ever, Brian Wilson. What was he like as a teammate? What was he like as a guy? If you hit him up right now with a text, would he return it? I, I don't even know where he is. I don't know. I have no clue where he is. I don't know where he's living. I know he came back to the 2010 like little reunion thing, which I didn't go to because I didn't really want to. <laughs> right. I just don't know. I just, I'm just in a place in my life where I'm just trying to get so far past my uh, baseball career and just move on. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I tell you, Brian Wilson was one of the most amazingly awesome teammates. He was fun. Every day he would come into the clubhouse and just bring that energy and uh, that, oh, God, the edge, the confidence he had. I've never seen anybody with that kind of edge, and it was, it was fun. He was entertaining. I mean, going to the ESPYs in a penguin suit. The guy was, he was, he was outrageous. He kept it loose in the clubhouse. He was fun. He'd be the first one in the clubhouse every day. Me, him and Pat Burrell would play cards and be the first ones in the clubhouse, and we just, that 2010 team, man, we had a special bond, and, and uh, he was a big part of that. And I have, I got to tell you, though, man, I haven't heard much from him since he's retired. Him or Tim Lipscomb, I have no idea if those two guys are alive, honestly. So, <laughs> I, I know, okay, I know Wilson is because I know a guy that's friends with him and he kind of hit me like, yo, yo, Rome, what's up? So I know for a fact that Wilson's alive. Now, Lincecum, that's just a different dude. That's a different cat. I can't speak for him. I have no idea what he's up to, you know, other than, yeah, yeah he's just different. That's a different guy in a good way, but a different dude for sure. What about like, like Buster Posey? That, that was a tough motherfucker, Buster Posey. What was he like, like oh, as a leader? Well, I tell you, when he came, I always tell the story in 2010 when he came up, man, you know, I, you always kind of bust uh, rookies' balls a little bit when right. they come up, and you know I get you know, but he just had that. There's an aura about him, man. He walks in the room, he just seems older than everybody else. And you know I, you know he'd come in. I remember the first day he came in, and the whole media's around him, and I'm like, oh, hey, Seuss, Jesus is here, you know, and just wearing him out, and you know, here's our savior in 2010. You know, we're you know we're ten games behind the Padres at the time, and you know we're we're, we're playing about 500 ball, and he comes up, and I'm like, okay, let's see what this kid can do, and. He just instantly starts raking. And everything he does and says in the clubhouse is just, you know, team first. He had zero, zero um, cockiness about him. Everything was humble. He reminded me of Jeter, a lot of Jeter-esque qualities about him. And I remember towards the end of the year, man, I was a 10-year veteran at the time, and this kid just fucking came in the league, and I was looking to him as a veteran leader. That's how much of an uh, edge he had about him and how much of a mental makeup this kid has. And 
you can see it throughout his career, man. The guy's never in trouble. You never hear him talking shit, um, which, you know, I got in trouble a lot for doing in my career. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the kid just gets it, man. Well, he's not a kid no more. He just gets it. He's not only good at baseball, but he's a better human being. He's just an unbelievable guy. Yeah, listen, I, Aubrey, I wish, and the thing about baseball is, and I understand now that, you know, it might be, I mean, you're not, you might not spend all your time watching baseball right now, but as somebody who covers the sport, talks about the sport, we need more personality. It'd be okay if guys talked a little more shit. I don't, I don't mean disrespect the game. I don't mean disrespect the guys you're going up against, but it's okay to talk a little bit of shit. I think that's why Bryce Harper gets as much run as he does, because the guy's like the closest thing to a rock star that the sport has. At least that's my opinion. You see where the Giants came at him pretty hard and came up just short. Do you think that he's going to regret not going to the Bay and signing on for 13 years in Philly? That is a tough, tough town. Well, it's a tough town, but, you know, I think he's a Philly kind of guy. The guy grinds his ass off. Those Philly fans love guys like that. And to be honest with you, if I had a choice to go to Philly for 330 or if it was San Francisco for 330, I'm taking Philly just for the taxes alone. I ain't paying those fucking California taxes. Right. You know, (laughs) but. uh, That's a real thing, by the way. Yeah, no shit, man. Um, but, yeah, man, those, I think he's going to do great there, man. It's a launching pad for left-handed hitters. It's a launching pad for anybody. I mean, I see him doing great things there, and I think he's the perfect fit for Philly. Yeah, Arby, one more thing about Boach. You mentioned Boach. This is a big Bruce Boachy house. I love Boach. I really do, and he's going to call it quits. What was he like to play for? Unbelievable, man. I've played for Lou Pinella, uh, Joe Madden. You know, Lou Pinnell was hard as nails. Just a kind of, you know, he was, a, he was a, obviously a legendary manager, but, you, you know, he can be kind of an asshole sometimes, <clears throat> but in a good way. I mean, he gets he gets the best out of you. But Bruce Boshi, I mean, he's a cut above. The guy never panics. He never yells. He believes in every one of his guys. Most managers in the big leagues are great strategists. I mean, I don't think that's debatable. But I think what Bruce brings to the table more than anything is his ability to, to detect each and every player in there, their personalities, because we all have individual personalities. And every player in that locker room, by and large, got the big leagues so they fucking know what they're doing. So he doesn't really intrude on trying to teach you the game or the basics, but he's there to motivate you and to give you exactly what you need to hear when you're going bad or you're going good. You know, like a guy like me, if I was going bad, I need to get my ass chewed out. And he would never do that publicly. He'd pull me aside, oh, for him. come on, man, we got to get the best out of you here. And, you know, we got to get you going. And, you know, and, you know, he'd get a little edgy there towards him. We need to fuck get you out there and get this shit going, man, you know. So he'd kind of get on my ass a little bit. And then a guy like Andres Torres, unbelievable teammate. But this guy, you know, he was very – he needed to be loved. And he's a very charismatic guy, and he's always positive. And, and he's the kind of guy that you want to give a hug to if he's going back. And when you give this guy a hug and a lot of love, he starts playing better. You know, so if he just knew how to kick somebody's ass or, or if he had that personality that needs a little bit more of a love – He'd give it to him, and he just a master at, at personality. Aubrey, listen, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm so glad that you and I got caught up, and I think that what you're doing, th- this is not easy. These are not easy things to talk about, and you're not doing it just so people will look at you. I know that it helps you. I know that you want to help other people. If somebody's listening right now, no matter who it is, whether it's a parent, maybe it's a kid who's playing ball, maybe it's a pro, somebody who kind of wants to reach out to you, bounce a few things off you, a touch base with you, what is the best way to do so? Yeah, so I'm, I'm writing my blog now, and it's at AubreyHuff.com. Um, I just opened about a few months ago, so it's pretty new, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback on some of my posts, and a lot of people have been reaching out to me through my, my blog post. So there's a contact page on there on AubreyHuff.com, and you can contact me. And I've had so many people, Jim, that's reached out to me about the, 
the the uh, anxiety and depression. That's the biggest one, man. And I think I'm going to have a lot too this week when I do the Adderall introduction to Adderall when I was in Chicago. So uh, that's going to be an interesting post. So, you know, I think these are these are topics that most people are scared to talk about. But man, fuck, man, it's necessary because so many people suffer quietly in, in quiet desperation, man. And it doesn't have to be that way. If you, to me, I've I've been able to heal a lot more by talking about this shit and being honest with it because of a guy like me that can go through it and. It's been at the top of my profession, won two World Series, and, and I think if people know that somebody like that's gone through it with suicidal thoughts, anxiety, depression, then, fuck, man, I'm not alone, because that's the worst thing that people go through when they're suffering. They think that they're not alone, but I, I know I sure did. I thought I was the only person in the world that was going through this shit, and you're not. I have to think that's what it is. I think that most people think that I'm the only one dealing with this. I don't know where to turn. I don't want to turn to anybody. Nobody would understand when in reality, you're not the only one. So I would encourage anybody listening right now to reach out. Aubrey, I think that this, you'll see the reaction from this. I think that it's going to continue to make so much of a difference. I really appreciate you. And let's definitely do this again before too long. Let's not wait as long as we did this time, but I'm so glad to get caught up with you. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on. I've always been a fan of your work, brother. Hey, check this. I understand that finding high-quality clothing that fits great is not always easy. Let me tell you about my favorite new company, a company founded by pro surfer and 11-time world champion Kelly Slater, a company whose mission is to provide great clothes that do not harm the environment. I'm talking about outer-known clothes. Outer-known clothes are for people and planet. High-quality, sustainable clothes, durable construction, and great fit. Outer Known only works with factories that pay fair living wages and provide safe working conditions. I've watched Kelly Slater for years. I have always respected him, his brand, and his business. And when we had this opportunity to go into a partnership for this, it was a no-brainer. I love the way the clothes look. I love the way they feel. I love what that company's about and what they represent. Go to OuterKnown.com today. Enter my code Rome at checkout. You'll get 25% off your full price order. That's OuterKnown.com. O-U-T-E-R. K-N-O-W-N.com. And remember to use my code Roman checkout. Get 25% off. Check them out right now. Outerknown.com. And don't forget the promo code Rome and get your 25% off. Huge thanks to Aubrey Huff for his extreme honesty and candor on this week's episode. That really was an amazing conversation. If you need to reach out to Aubrey, he is looking for you. Hit him on Twitter at Aubrey underscore Huff or contact him through his website, AubreyHuff.com. He is on a mission to help others, so make sure you get at him or share this episode with somebody who might need to hear it. These are the types of conversations that we have here, conversations that we can never have on our daily radio program rangy, important, different. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss one in the future. Speaking of which, I will be back next week with episode 73 and a double batch of voicemails as well. Catch you then. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 